Hey everybody, you got Keith here. You got Keith Billis and I'm live in the lab. I'm live. Ooh, bringing us in on a Friday. Do you hear those tunes? A little bit of cocktail music. Cocktail music? What? It's noon. As Jimmy Buffett would say, it's five o'clock somewhere. As we know, we bring themes of music into the show to introduce our guests. And today, we have Al Langer, award-winning author, sales trainer. We're going to talk sales today. There's your hook. If you're a sales expert or a sales think you are an expert or a sales I want to be an expert, today's the show you want to pay attention to. Because according to Alan, you don't need a closing technique if your main intention is to help the customer. Think about that. Why do you need the technique if you're there just to help somebody? Do you need a technique for everything if you're going to help somebody? We're going to talk with Alan today. We're going to chat sales training, in-house training, outhouse training. What's the best approach? And is it really... The amount of calls you make that drive success, or is it the human connection? It's funny. I always think it's the numbers. You got to knock on a bunch of doors. You got to talk to a bunch of people. And then statistically, the number is going to catch up and you're going to get some sales. Perhaps Alan might disagree. We're going to dig into that conversation with Alan Langer today. Coming up live in the lab. My kids are always telling me. Yeah, I always bring my kids up on the show. Dad, you got to tell people to subscribe to the show. Here's that opportunity for you right now. Subscribe. It don't cost you nothing. Zero dollar. No manito. Put your wallet away, leave your wallet in your pocket, and go hit subscribe. Why should you subscribe? Same reason everybody else on YouTube tells you to subscribe. I say that a thousand times in a row. It's how we get paid. It's how we are attempting to get paid. Now, I've, I have not get paid yet on YouTube. I'm sure one day we will. It's, it's not the reason we get out of bed to do this show. It certainly helps, though. It certainly... Uh, if you're a shareholder in Visa... Uh, I can assure you that you will be getting good returns on your investment over time as we continue to increase investment in the show. It's true. People and time is not free. So go subscribe. Subscribe to the show. Tell your friends. Tell your family. Say, hey, stumbled across this show called Live in the Lab with Keith Billis. It runs live Monday to Friday, noon, daily, central time on YouTube. Minus five GMT. So if you're listening to other parts of the world, minus five, minus five GMT. You'll find us on YouTube. We drop in from time to time on X, LinkedIn, Instagram. But right now we're building our presence out on LinkedIn. Subscribe to the show. If you have comments, if you have guest suggestions, let us know. But our ambition, the ambition here is to create a show that's appealing to you. You know who you are. We're refining who we are speaking to. Yeah, you know it. We're trying to create content that's enlightening to you, informative to you, entertaining for you. Maybe you relate to me and my stories. Hopefully you relate to our guests. But subscribe. Drop it in the downloads. We run it every single day at noon. Oh, I remember when producer Roland said, we're going to go live? Yeah. Monday to Friday, noon, minus five. How many times have I said that today? I think I've said it enough. So we're going to rock and roll out of the monologue segue because we all know what we have to do. We have to subscribe to the show. I'm done with that. We're going to flip our attention to the camera over there. We're going to bring Alan on the screen. We're going to do dual Keith. We're going to do Alan Keith. Bring us together. Have a great chat about sales. And again, according to Alan, you do not need a closing technique if the main intention is to do what? Help the customer. Let's welcome in Alan Langer. Al. Keith. How are you, my friend? I am awesome. How are you? Thanks for oh, having me on the show. I'm really glad you're here. Thanks for joining us. I'm equally awesome. It's Friday, but as I, as I think as an entrepreneur, and I... You are an entrepreneur as well. Friday is not much different from a Monday or a Saturday or a Wednesday, is it? 
It, it is not. It's when you are an entrepreneur or a solopreneur, you just, the days are the days. And I always say that I never feel like I'm working, so I'm blessed. So that's Friday, Saturday, Sunday, whatever it is. I'm just getting stuff done. I love that. I, I love your getup behind you. Is that not an image? That's your actual office? That's my actual wall. Yeah, I actually put flooring on my wall to just make it look pretty cool and got pictures and books and I'm a big elephant and safari fan. So there's some pictures back there as well. Okay. That is going to get reassociated here. So last July for my 50th, took my family to Kenya. No kidding. Wow. Spent time with the elephants, spent yeah. time with the big five, Alan, spent time big with the day safaris, night safaris. As a matter of fact, and for those that are listening, well, I, I got to go here. We've got a big thing going on next year. Transformation 24, 365 day experience, Alan. There's 10 spots available. We've got a couple that are verbally secured right now. 10 spots available. We're taking 10 people as part of the league of business athletes. We're going to go and, and, and spend a year of coaching together. Wellness coaching, fitness coaching, nutrition coaching, mental coaching, awareness coaching, accountability. We're going to meet in Panama. Wow. First, first trek to go climb to the top of Mount, Mount uh, Volcan Battery, the only place in the world you can see the Panama and the Atlantic Ocean at the same time. It's a day trip. And then in the middle of the year, the same group of 10, we're going to head to the Azores, Mount Pico. We're going to climb up to Mount T Pico, spend the night. It, and these aren't cramp on, clamp, cramp on, clamp on, got to do a rope. No, I'm just going to walk up. Then we're going to do Kilimanjaro in in september but i'm bringing you here because i was here which is kenya we're bringing everybody to where i was last july we're bringing the whole group we're going to end the year at a wonderful retreat down on lamu island shayla beach in kenya after spending wow. a couple of weeks doing some safaris so <clears throat> excuse me uh where have you safarried while i clear my throat here so the following the previous not the following the previous july the 20 2021 I went to Kenya as well. I went to Masamari. Yes. And, uh, yes. And I did a, an eight day safari there by myself. I just went by myself and it was the best time I ever did because I didn't have to worry about anybody else on the trip. And I also, back then they still had really good post COVID pricing. So I was able to get a private guide for 400 bucks for the eight days. So it was just me and my guide's name was Dennis. It's just Dennis and me tooling along the, the Masamari. It was amazing. I'd wake up and he'd go, what do you want to see today? And we would just go out and look for it. And it wasn't anybody fighting. It wasn't like a group of 12 saying, I want to see cheetahs. I want to see hippos. It wasn't any of that. It was just me wanting to see what I wanted to see. So I know we're going to get to sales. We're going to get to your podcast, your career in the book, sure. but I really want to stay here right now because yeah, it's your show, the, man. We do whatever, whatever you want. I'll talk about anything. To those that have not been to Kenya. And when I say, yeah, I was in Kenya. They're like, why would you go to Kenya? Yeah. So why did you go to Kenya? Why did you go to the, uh, the Masamara? Uh, I was equal. I was there as well. I, I spent four, five days, was it? We did day safaris, night safaris, not with a group, just it was either my son and I in the truck or it was my yeah. family and I in the truck. And yeah. it was beyond exceptional. So why did you pick Kenya and share with the audience what happened to you while you were there? Because I know something happened to you and I haven't even met you, but what happened to you while you were there and when you came back? from that experience as you're talking about it and making me think back i'm still getting chills from the experience so you just know when people go on a safari it, it changes you a little bit but i actually went for a very specific reason so i'm actually writing i have the the, the one book behind me which is my business book my sales book but i've been working on a fiction book for a while and it takes place in africa 
and it's a it, it the, the main focus of the book is the migration of the wildebeest and i got about 120 pages or so into the book and i just stopped and i said you know what i can't write a book about africa without going i just can't i can't talk about the smells and the feelings and the tastes and everything without actually being there and i went and i specifically i found this unbelievable travel agent and i told her specifically i don't care what it takes the only thing i need to see if i don't see anything else i need to see the wildebeest two things not only migrating like moving but i need to see them cross the river and crossing the river is a major part of the book she's okay and she found this really understated but amazing lodge that i stayed in wasn't a lot of people there and she found this guy named dennis who knew about the wildebeest and he was just like day three he we're driving around he goes you know what i think today's the day because they congregate for a long time mm -hmm. before they decide to cross and we all the other tour guides are sitting there waiting for them to cross and he would drive by and i don't know what they're waiting for they're not crossing today and i said how do you know that he goes i just know i've been doing this for 15 years i just know and then two days later he goes i think they're crossing today and we got there and about 20 minutes later they started to cross and just to see a hundred thousand wildebeest cross a river again chills never ever will see anything it was un unbelievable so that's was why that, I was that the highlight or was there more that was definitely the highlight but then the elephants just seeing the elephants so close and their babies and i tell you what one of the highlights the giraffes like it's almost like nature was high when he create he or she created in africa because you look at these animals you're like where did that come from where did that come from what was going on out here these completely different looking animals like you look at a giraffe what are you kidding and we had this one giraffe like half-ass chasing us a little bit but it was really close and i'm saying this thing is 35 feet tall like what the hell <laughs> that's crazy it, it isn't it the most bizarre thing when you see it, a giraffe for the first time when you're perhaps either in the Jeep or you see its head pop out above the trees? And, and to your yeah. point, you're like, what the hell is that 40 feet up in the sky? Yeah, it's crazy. And it's completely different than seeing it in a zoo. It is. You're now in the cage and the animals aren't. And within the hour of me getting there, when the first safari, he even Dennis said to me, my guide, we saw male lions the big manes and the yes. female then we actually saw two of them mating within an hour of going and he's like that i haven't seen that in three years so he goes you're already way ahead of the game but they were literally three feet from us just sitting there yes they're so used to see the jeeps are part of the landscape now and but it was cool how they all communicated with us and say hey we got a jaguar down here because jaguars are rare yes. to, to see and we they go there or we've got a lemur or something like that so it was really an amazing experience. I, the one thing I would change if I, when I go again, not if, was when, is I would probably do, like I did eight days in one area, mm -hmm. which was great. And I knew the area by the time I was done, but I would probably do five days in one area and then go to a different part of Africa and do another three or four days there. So just to see the different landscaping. That's what I did, really? Alan. We did, so that's yeah. what I did. And that's what our plan is for a transformation 24 is we did four days in the Masai Mara and, mm -hmm. and experienced that part of the country. We then hopped into the old airplane and flew out, out to the Lua Conservancy. So Lua has the white rhinoceros, tons of cats, everything we could fr frankly imagine. So it was a, a different experience than the Mara, but the, the Masai Mara was... I don't have words to describe, frankly, and I'm yeah. sure like yourself, right? It's an emotion. It's a feeling. I get goosebumps. Yeah, I was exactly. fortunate with my son to go, and we did a couple of night safaris. Hmm. And I, I will share with you post-show, I have a video of hyenas 
overtaking a kill that a cheetah. So a cheetah attacked a what's the deer equivalent over there? They're everywhere. The antelope. The antelope. Yeah. Or the, yeah. Killed it. And all we heard was these laughing, sound like laughing human beings. So we yeah, drive yeah. up and, and there's this cluster of hyenas just eating this kill. And then my guide, they're talented, shining their light into the bush, found yeah. the cheetah that recently killed it. That was an experience I'll never forget wow. doing the night safari. And then the second one was, and I got a picture of this too. We were in Lua and they, uh, darkness all we had was the, the, the light from the stars. And I took my camera out and I said, hmm, I wonder what I can capture. I just wanted to see what it would capture. It, it was a expensive Leica with ISO. So I just, I opened it right up. Alan did this, stuck it over top of the Jeep, hit click, brought it down, a lion right in front of us. Couldn't see it in the dark with our eyes, but with the moonlight wow. and the stars. And I'll, again, I'll send you the picture. Exceptional. So the <laughs> night safaris were beyond, you know, something else, but... What was so my other experience that I fully loved when I was in Kenya was just my interactions with the, the human beings that I met and spent time with. That yeah, was Dennis was again, he was very cool. He was my guide and he was all of he was like five foot four both ways, tall and wide. He was just like this roly poly, joyful <laughs> fella, really cool guy. And and he was so knowledgeable, like he would be driving and we would see a little bird on a bush yeah. and he'd stop and he'd tell me about the bird. And he was like big into birds. So we would stop and look at birds and but he was just basically, what do you want to see today? Let's go try to find it. Rather than just driving around and hoping we see something. We were like, we always had a mission. We wanted to go see this. We wanted to go see that. And and then this one time he took me, we went out the entire day. We had a lunch and breakfast and lunch, just the two of us. And it was, you get to know people a little bit as yes. you're out there. And it was just, it, it, it was remarkable. And the one thing was, it was still, COVID was still very much alive and well and there was testing, like I had to be tested before the plane, after the plane, before I left the lodge, they had, I had to go out into the bush and it was weird. They had this big tent in the middle of nowhere and these African doctors come out with these masks on and they're testing you for COVID before you can leave the country and, and stuff like that. So quite, quite an experience for sure. That's fantastic. Thanks for sharing that conversation with me on, uh, on Kenya and Africa. And to all those that are listening, Transformation 24, come knock on my door. Uh, yep. Limited space available. We're looking for some uh, people that want to transform their lives. Uh, leave the resolution over there because that's just going to fail on you. Come and uh, talk about a transformative experience. Let's pivot our conversation, Alan, to um, your expertise. You're an expert in sales. And, and it really caught me on your homepage, the Seven Secrets Sales Academy. You don't need a closing technique if your main intention is to help the customer. And I like that because we always talk about, we got to help the customer, got to help the customer. And then everybody's, but here's your closing technique. And I like how you're like, no, you don't need one if you're helping the customer. Well, actually I'll probably disagree with you right there. It's like, when you say we're always like, we got to help the customer. Most corporations that train never talk about helping the customer. They talk about selling the customer. Helping is very rarely brought up. If you do any type of corp, if you're in a corporate sales environment, if you work for whatever it's a B2B or a B2C company and you go through their training, most corporate or company training is broken because it's usually not sales training, it's product training. And mm -hmm. then from there, these are the techniques you need to then close the customer. And you can, when you read my book, I, I, I just did a Google search once when I was writing my book to see how many closing techniques actually exist. And 
there's a million websites with closing techniques, but I think I list 75 of them in my book just as the scratching the surface. And they're all these ridiculous named the, the, the manager closing to look, call the manager closing technique or the backdoor closing technique or this technique or that technique. They all have these silly names because basically they're designed to, to coerce the customer into buying from you. And I've always said, and I got very good at sales when I realized that sales has nothing to do with being coercive. Sales has everything to do with the customer feeling like you're helping them solve their problem. And if you genuinely want to help somebody, if you have a problem and I'm genuinely want to help, I don't need a closing technique. Closing just becomes an extension of the conversation. You get to the point where they like, yeah, this guy can help me. Okay, when do you want to get started? There's, that's not a closing technique. It's just, let's go. Let's get started. And that's how I, that's how I sold. I never use closing techniques. Now there's certain things you need to do when your conversation goes one way or the other. And those are those, these are little things, but they're not techniques. They're just paying attention to the human behavior and how the mind works and things like that. But these silly things where you got reps concentrating on, I have to do this a, and then I got to go to B, then I got to go to C. And if they say this, I got to go to D. And it's just like, you become this sales robot. And as soon as you do that, that's why people hate salespeople. Oh, nobody likes a salesperson, unfortunately. I'm glad you said that. That's why most people hate salespeople. It came up last week. Just the question of if you're a salesperson, somebody has this suspicion that you might be greasy. Mm -hmm. Alan, why don't, we, why don't we call salespeople problem solvers if that's what we're doing? Yeah, we should. My book starts with the, a survey I did. I wrote my entire book in a coffee shop in East Greenwich, Rhode Island, where I live. And when I started my book, I was doing my research and I said, you know what, I'm going to ask because I was experiencing it. I used to sell Anderson windows, high-end windows. That's where I made most of my money. And I was the national rep of the year a number of times. And, but I always was always fighting the perception of when I, I would meet people in their homes and design the project and sell it. But the, but you were always behind the eight ball because people didn't want to meet with you. I wondered if this is really, is this something that actually permeates everywhere. So I sat there and I started asking everyone that walked in the coffee shop. I said, do you, Hey, let me, can I ask you a quick question? They're like, sure. I said, real quick, do you like meeting with a salesperson? And I stopped after 231 people. Cause every single one said, no, mm -hmm. I don't. And it wasn't like, nah, I don't really, it was like emphatic. No, it's like, hell no. I don't want to, I hate salespeople. I, why would I want to meet with a salesperson? And it became the impetus of my book. Like, how did we get to that point? How do we get to the point in, in the world where we all need to buy stuff? We all need to buy things, but we hate the people that sell them. And it's because the people that sell them for years and years have been trained poorly or they're just Shylocks and they just want to rip you off and try to sell you stuff you don't need. So that combination of years of that, I call it rip to trustophobia in my book. It's a fear of, of meeting with a salesperson. And if you're if if you think that doesn't exist, then you're mistaken as a salesperson. You have to know that people don't want to meet with you even though they need your product and you have to overcome that right away to, to have any chance of selling to those that are listening right now they're saying keith allen keeps talking about his book yes so listeners his book the seven secrets to selling more by selling less mm -hmm. allen also has a company called the seven secrets center for sales success he helps you listener he helps businesses of all sizes as well as individual professionals increase their sales significantly by training his proven seven secret sales approach. Now, Alan, I want to challenge you for a quick second here. Cause I think I can please. You spoke about, you opened, you did your research. You found out oh, there's all these different silly techniques on how to sell. 
Yet one could argue you're just adding to that pile by saying, hey, look at my technique of the seven secrets to selling more, sell by selling less. So I might say, but Alan, you're just adding to that list of 100. You're now list of 101 of these new techniques to like you're selling a technique by not selling a technique. So I'll go back to what you just said. You said you were talking about my bio a little bit and you said the seven secret sales approach. Notice I don't have the seven secret sales system or the seven secret sales strategy. It's an approach. It's a mindset. But I'm also not ignorant enough to think that you can just do this esoterically. You have to actually have some mindset of, okay, what am I going to do here? How does your mind work, Keith? If your mind works this way, then I'm going to take advantage of that. Not in an unethical way, but if social proof works as a pillar of influence, why wouldn't I not use social proof to say, listen, 10 other people with the exact same house you live in bought these same windows. That's not unethical. That's just helping you feel better as a person who may want to buy the windows. So that's, if you want to call that a technique or a strategy, you can, but it's just a, it's just a, it's just an approach where you want the customer, your prospect just to feel comfortable with you. And the way the brain works, just like with the way the body works in body language, we all think the same way, except about 98% of it. There, there's the outliers, of course, but social proof and scarcity and all these different things that are pillars of influence by Robert Cialdini, the, the famous researcher, that's not unethical to use. That's just saying, hey, if I think the color blue makes me feel better, I'm going to paint the hospital blue. That, yeah, that's just So that that's they started painting prisons pink because pink is a common color. It's not coercive. It's not unethical. It's just how the brain works to so take advantage of it. So that's how I kind of approach things. Like these are the, the seven things that I used started to do that just made people feel much more comfortable because obviously I believed in my product as well. If I, if I was selling something I didn't believe in, then you're not the salesperson I want to train anyway. So I like that you use the word feeling though, Alan, because at the end of the day, it's Alan, the human interacting with the human over there trying to solve their problem and you are an expert it would be almost you wouldn't be an expert if you weren't catering to their emotions catering to their feelings catering to right. what they don't even know they want great steve jobs always said what the customer doesn't know what they want you got to exactly. tell them what they want you have to tell them what they want so if right. you're sitting here at my house going keith you live in a neighborhood that all these homes have these windows oh okay then alan i gotta have those same windows that to me is being a great expert not being right. a that's not being unethical to me no now if i went in and said you called me for 10 regular double hung up and down windows and then i said oh you better you i think you need a bay window too when you really didn't need one then i think you're starting to border on un unethicalness that's not a word but being unethical because a lot of salespeople upsell like i hate the term upselling because upselling is usually trying to sell something to someone that they probably don't need. What would you prefer as a term? Additional helping, like showing them something that would, you know what? I know you didn't call me for this, but I'm here. I think, you know what? I sold more by telling people what they didn't need than what they did. Like people would call me and say, I, I really want to do this. And do you think I need a bay window? And I'd say, no, your bay window is fine. And most people would be shocked. Oh, really? I, I thought you'd try to sell me a bay window. No, if you need one, I'd sell it to you. But this is fine, but you do need these five over here. The trust level just blows up and, and they're like, yeah, absolutely. So when you start telling people what they don't need and don't start to sell them stuff that they think you're going to try to sell them, then you really increase your trust level and, and you'll sell much more effectively that way. That's gold right there. 
So anybody paying attention to today's show or even yesterday's show with Ari Mizell, I had a great guest in the show yesterday, Ari, who runs his business for one hour a day. He does everything asynchronously. Like I love when we can give our guests things that they can instantly learn. And and I always say, don't build the to-do list, build the not to-do list. And you're you're saying the same thing. Don't sell them something. Tell them what they really don't need and they're going to build your trust and they're going to call you when they do really need a problem solved. I, I, I hope I have time for a quick story based on that. Uh, so I went out to this house once when I was selling Anderson windows and it was two sisters and they were in their late seventies, really sweethearts. And I walked in the house and they said that they needed a new bay window. It was a big bay window in the back, back of the house. Mm-hmm. And I looked at it and it actually, the two side flankers, the double hung windows, they were both, and they said, oh, so drafty and everything. But I looked at it, both windows are just off their tracks. So I snapped them back into their tracks and they worked fine. So there was my decision. Every salesperson had, gets to a point in most appointments where you have a decision to make. My decision was they thought they needed a bay window. I could have easily sold them a $15,000 bay window, or I could have done the right thing and said, you know what? You guys don't need one. So I said to them, your bay, your bay window is fine. You're both almost 80 years old. Why would you spend 15 grand on a new bay window? It doesn't make any sense. I said, if you really want one, I'll sell you one, but you don't need one. And they're like, oh my God, we don't have that kind of money. I'm like, no problem. As I was leaving the house, they had this old storm door, like a, a metal steel storm door from the 50s. And this thing was dragging on the cement. It was hard to open. They apologized when I walked in about the door. They were apologizing I was leaving. And I looked at it. And I said, let me see if I can fix this door for you. So I always had tools in my truck and can of WD-40. I came back, tightened some screws, sprayed the hinges, fixed the level, and the door started moving as if it was brand new. They, I, It was like I gave them a million dollars. They could not believe that I fixed this door that, that they've been struggling with for years in this house. So I say my goodbyes. I go on my way. I'm not kidding. Six months later, my cell phone rings, unknown number. I pick it up. Turns out it was the son of one of these ladies. And he said, hi, Alan, this is Joe Smith. I'm the son of Mary. And by the way, I should have called you earlier. I wanted to let you know two things. One, I want to thank you for not selling my mother and her, my aunt a new bay window. I know they didn't really need one. And I really appreciate that you didn't do that. And I said, no problem. And he goes, two, they have not stopped talking about you fixing that damn storm door <laughs> for six months. Every family gathering, every picnic, every time I talk to them, they talk about the Anderson guy who fixed their storm door. I'm like, that's great. He goes, by the way, I need windows. Can you come to my house? I went to this guy, that guy's house that weekend, and it was the number one largest residential sale I ever made at Anderson. It was a $120,000 window project because I did the right thing for these women. I left them with a great experience. And that will always work out for you. When you do the right thing and you leave a customer with a good experience, whether you sell them or not, you will be very successful in sales. I'm going to use cliches here and it's just so simple, but it's just being authentic, being real and being kind, isn't it? That's really all it is. It's not that hard. It's not rocket science. It really is not. But it's so amazing how many cus- how many companies come up with these systems and these strategies. And this is what you have to tell the customer every single time. And I even have this line in my book. It's like doing the same sales demonstration to every single person is like giving the same medicine to everyone that walks into a hospital. Everybody's different. If you don't know how to 
move and jive and figure out and be nimble on your feet on who's in front of you, you're never going to be successful in sales. You will close at 20%. And that if you do the same exact sales demonstration to everyone you meet, you'll close 15 to 20%. That means out of every 100 people, 80 people will tell you. And if that was me, I would jump off a bridge. That's not the type of, you know, how I want to lead people. So Alan, in the business athlete performance lab and within this lifestyle and, and this way of thinking, structure and systems are important yeah. to keep yourself in check, to keep life in check, to move forward. Yet we're talking about how sales and systems don't necessarily work in sales. But what I really think you're saying is that it's, there are sales and systems that need to work in problem solving. It's just not what we have been maybe trained to think about for the last 100 years where companies haven't evolved from that. Am I, am I hearing you correctly? Yeah, I, sales training has really not evolved much. It's obviously there's a million books out there. There's a million uh, studies and there's so many different things. But people get caught up so much in following a system and saying specific things that mm. they don't listen to the customer. Now, what I'm saying is you don't just walk in there and be nice and say, I'm going to help you and you're going to sell. You obviously have to understand what type of open-ended questions to ask. You obviously have to understand not to sell too quickly. You have to understand body language. If I'm looking at you and I say something and you roll your eyes or you purse your lips and I just keep talking, that means I'm not going to sell that because I missed something. So these things you have to be, to me, you have to have a very high emotional intelligence. I don't want to say very high. But if you have emotional intelligence and empathy, you'll have much more success in sales than if you have the ability to follow a system. Because you need to be able to really, especially today with, with every customer you're going to meet has done their research, they've been online, they have what I call informational ammunition in front of them to protect themselves from salespeople. You have to be the person that is there to help them and to really guide them rather than to sell them. In fact, I just saw a study last week or two weeks ago that said they studied that as soon as a prospect gets the feeling that you are doing a sales demonstration to them, like you're not being authentic, the ability to sell drops 97%. As soon as they feel oh, this guy's doing a dog and pony show, they're not buying from you, period. So you have to be conversational and within that conversation get them enough information for them to make an educated decision. Alan, you used a word a few moments ago, which is a word that was not part of old school sales culture, old school sales learning, where I came from. I, I, I'm going to suspect we're probably of the same demographic, but I went to the school of Xerox training, right? I oh, sold yeah. photocopiers and I, and I went and knocked on lots of doors and I, I learned those, those sales processes. But the word I'm referring to is empathy. Empathy mm -hmm. is a rather newer word that has become part of how we interact with humans and it's been thrown to the forefront. We want to have it. We want to have interactions with empathetic human beings. How do you speak to people in sales who just can't wrap their head around? I need to be empathetic. What do you say to that person? Better figure out how to be empathetic <laughs> because yeah. I, I'm a study geek. I always look at studies and I, if I ask people, what do you think the number one trait for the top salespeople in the world is? It's not determination. It's not energy. It's not extrovertness. It's empathy. The top salespeople in the world rate very high on an empathy quotient. And it's because they're putting themselves in the shoes of their customers and understanding what that customer needs without selling them. 
So I do a little, a, a cute little like pop psychology thing when I give my talks and I tell people, take the index finger of your dominant hand and draw a capital E on your forehead. So people do that. And then I ask, okay, did you draw the E facing me so I can read it or facing yourself so you can read it? And it's usually about 70, 30 people draw it facing out so I can read it. But the 30% that draw it facing themselves doesn't mean they're bad people. In the world of psychology, it means that you are less empathetic than the person who draws it out. And if some people say, oh, I'm, I'm very empathetic. Maybe not. You could be. But all I say is if you draw it to yourself so you can read it, take a step back and see how empathetic you are. Take a look at your sales conversations. Are you talking over your customer? Are you really digging in to find out what they actually need and what their problems are? Are you just trying to sell them? It turns out I had a guy call me back. He says, you're right. I looked at some of my recordings and I can't believe how much I was talking over the customer. And he was the one that drew it toward himself. So empathy is, I can't stress enough, asking when someone gives you an answer, don't start to sell, ask another question. I say, tell me about the problem you're having with your front door. They tell you, and then what a normal sales rep will do is they'll start selling right away. We got doors to take care of that. And I got doors to take care of this. Instead, say, describe for me how that makes you feel. Yeah, I'm freezing at night because, and, and you keep asking questions and the customer will now feel, man, this guy's really understanding me. Alan, I suspect that's even more important as demographics have shifted and as our generations have shifted, who, who we are selling to, you're maybe selling to a different demographic perhaps. And you, you often hear in the sports business, coaches who are coaching younger athletes today can't coach the same way they coached 10, 15, 20 years ago. It's a much better educated. It's a much more empathetic, vulnerable human being. Sure. It's the same thing with sales, isn't it, Alan? Yeah, it, it really is. And I talk about, I did a keynote earlier this year, and I talked about understanding that prior to the advent of the internet, the salesperson was in charge because we had no information as the prospect. We had magazines, we had consumer reports, we had advertisements, commercials, but we didn't know about products. We actually had to listen to the salesperson. And then at some point we got a bad experience or we were ripped off and then the trust of salespeople went out the window. Then the internet happened. And now that's why I call it informational ammunition. If you're meeting someone, you better know that they researched you. They looked you up. They have all the information that they need and they're going to, they're testing you and they're no, you're no longer in charge as the salesperson, the customer's in charge. And if you don't understand that you're there to answer their questions, you're there to dig deep and to really understand them. And that's how you'll sell them. I call it, there's two islands in a sales process, in a sales conversation. There's two islands. There's ask, listen, and understand island. So ALU island. Then there's a bridge to go to sell me island. Okay. That bridge has a draw, has an arm on it. You are not allowed to go to sell me island until the customer gives you permission to do that. And they will never raise that drawbridge arm to give you permission to sell them until you ask, listen, and understand them enough. Because if you try to get to go from ask, listen, and understand and jump over that arm and try to sell them, you're not going to sell them. And that's what, that's the mistake that most sales reps make is they try to sell too quickly. They ask one question, maybe two. Now I have your solution where you need to continually ask questions until the point where the customer's like, man, come over and tell I'm ready for your solution now. I really am. Then they open the arm, you cross over to Sell Me Island, and they're ready to hear you. Those are great metaphors. I like those examples. 
Alan, how do you cold call, not you, rhetorically, to the listeners? How does one cold call in 2023 slash 2024? The cold call is out there. I'm not going to this answer, but you don't. I, I don't. I Listen, I understand cold calling has been part of selling culture for since there's been phones. But the concept of it's a numbers game is so overused and so incorrect, in my opinion. I'd rather have 10 warm conversations than 100 cold calls any day of the week. And you do that by using LinkedIn, essentially. If you have a list of 100 calls you know, to make that day, don't spend two hours making 100 calls. Spend two hours warming people up on LinkedIn and then call them. Because if you have some, if you've made a connection with someone, it's so much easier to have the conversation than to actually have the, the call. Because think about it. I make 100 calls, it takes me two hours, and maybe, maybe I get two people to, to set an appointment with. Maybe. Okay. And out of that, you're probably not going to sell those two people anyway. So your closing percentage is less than 10%. Whereas if I spent that two hours connecting with people on LinkedIn and starting a, a conversation and then, Hey, we spoke on LinkedIn. Do you mind? You have a few minutes or is this a good time? They're more apt to have the, they're more apt to actually have a conversation with you than doing it cold. So I train people to really don't do any cold calling, warm up your prospects first just casually on LinkedIn, you can do it. And it's getting harder now because there's so much spamming going on on LinkedIn and so many people reaching out with stuff. But you, there's ways to do it where you can get break through the noise and then you make that call and they're going to listen to you or you send that email they're, because they know you, they're going to actually listen to you. And now you got 10 appointments instead of, and, no, and not 100 calls. And you have a much better chance of closing them or selling them, I should say. I would have disagreed with you up until maybe a year, six months ago, thinking that, no, you got to go talk to a lot of people, go knock on doors. But as I've been re-emerging back into the world of, of business, I had a nice little successful exit, took some time off, raised my kids and said, okay, yeah. last year decided to go roll up the sleeves and just go do some fun things and go help people again and go contribute back to society and have a purpose. Quickly realized that the idea of the cold call is gone because it's like this sound. Who in the fuck are you? Who, yeah. who are you Who are you knocking on my door? Why, why are you here again? Who are you and why are you here? When right. it was yesterday when I was selling photocopiers or knocking on, or if you were my manager, why didn't you knock on the left door and the right door? You were there anyways. Oh, where now it's, I'm coming to you and you're saying, who's this Keith guy? Yeah. Why are you talking to me? Like we, I, I don't know you from Adam because we live in a world now where you, where I can actually in advance get to know you. I can comment on your content i can try to get into your purview not sell you but build your trust there's yep. the key word and yep. you know what i have found alan and i'm going to suspect you use the same platform for the same reasons platform has been spectacular to build trust build authenticity get in front of people have an understanding of who keith is who alan is so that when i do reach out to them oh is that keith guy yeah well, i like him i don't like him but at least i know who he is i know who right? he is and you might take you might take the call Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. It's been a great process. Alan, you went from selling doors and renovation product, I think through Anderson, you said it was. Yep. Yep. You, you pivoted to more of a thought leader, I would say. You've written books, you're speaking engagements, you're doing less selling of products, more of helping others in a, in a I hate these terms like white collar, blue collar, but you've become an internet guy. You've become an internet yep. guy. A lot of guys like you want to go from this industry to becoming an internet guy, but they don't know how to do it, especially in our demographic. 
Yeah. They do, it's, I don't know how to start a podcast. I don't know how to get into a book. I don't know how to get on stage and be a speaker yet. They are experts in their own right, but they don't know how to do what you have done clearly very successfully. Tell the audience how you've been able to become like an internet guy from a, again, that typical, maybe blue collar type world. Am I describing the question appropriately, Alan? You are. And it's one I've been asked before, and I will answer it this way. And Again, I, I think there, there's a couple of ways to look at it. First of all, if you want to become, I don't know if internet guy is the, the proper term, but if you want to become a thought leader, yeah. you want to start selling your, your, your intelligence, like what you know and your expertise, there's no shortcut. There's literally no shortcut. It, with all these things in Instagram, buy this program, buy that program. I've sold, I make $13,000 a month and everything. You know what? If you were making $13,000 a month, you wouldn't be selling your program on it on Instagram. I'm firmly believe that most of these guys are just total bullshit. It really is because why would you spend the time giving all your secrets away when you, if I had the secret, I was making 30 grand a month. Why the hell would I tell everyone else about it? Anyway, here's the quick story. So I, I wrote my book simply because I'm a writer at heart. I love to write. Okay. I wrote the book. It was a challenge because when I was selling, my boss back then told me that what I did was not trainable. He told me once it wasn't trainable. And I had the book in my head anyway, and I took it as a challenge. I wrote the book. The surprising part is it became a bestseller. That I did not expect, which was awesome. But I'm still selling windows and doing my thing. And now my book's doing really well. And I start getting knocks on the door. This is prior to COVID. And hey, would you speak at the Chamber of Commerce? Would you speak at the Knights of Columbus? Would you speak here? Would you do this video thing? So I start getting all these speaking engagements and I start realizing after 20 years of selling, this could be my next chapter because I really love training and teaching and all of that anyway. So I'm thinking maybe I'll turn this into a business. Let me try. That's the end of 2019. 2020 starts and I've got, no joke, I had nine speaking engagements on my calendar for March and April of 2020. And I'm thinking I'm on the runway. The end of this year, I'm stopping. I'm not selling anymore. I'm going to open my own business. But I didn't really have a plan. I just said, hey, I'm just because I would do a speaking engagement and then I would get a training gig out of it. Hey, can you come and train my team? And I didn't know how to price it. I don't know what I was doing. I didn't even have business cards. So then COVID happens. March 19th, everything's canceled. And I was forced to reinvent myself online. Otherwise, I wouldn't have survived. And I spent, I'm not, I was up to two to three in the morning every night and figuring out how all these successful people on LinkedIn were doing it. And I absorbed everything I possibly could. And when I started, when I opened, literally started my account on LinkedIn years ago, it was for Windows. I never looked at it, never did anything. I completely changed it. So I had 16 followers when I started. And now I have over 13,000. And it's because I learned that there's no shortcut. There's a lot of hard work. You start to emulate people who are successful at it start to make really good connections, start to become the authority in your niche, okay? If you have something to sell, if you have intellectual property that you want to share, it has to be niche. You can't be just general. The one biggest mistake I made when I started was, I'm a sales coach. I can help you sell more. You sell something, I can help you sell it better. That was my message. Guess what? I got no clients, there's a million people selling stuff, but I wasn't the expert at selling anything. I was just the expert in sales. So now I niche down to what I knew in home selling, in the construction market, in the remodeling market. Does that mean I don't get other gigs anywhere? Not at all. But my focus when I put my stuff out really is that market. And I get hired quite a bit by 
roofing companies, window companies, siding companies, remodeling companies, contractors. And then from there, I'll get a gig with a, an IT company or get a gig with a marketing company, whatever it is, a, a closet company I'm, I'm training next week. So to answer your question, really find the people that you resonate with, that's been your niche, emulate what they're doing, give valuable information when you post content, give, don't be afraid to give out tips and tricks because once you do that, they're going to hire you to do more, right? And you have to do it every single day. It can't be something that you just do on the side every now and then if you have to make a commitment to do it. And it's not an easy road. It, it's the solopreneur journey is an up and down journey and you got to have a really thick skin to get through it. But the the people who survive are the ones that have the determination to be successful. That's wonderful insight, Alan. There's one thing I've learned by getting into the lab and speaking with people. And what I've been just really fascinated by is every day I meet somebody who's part of the book, The Long Tail. Remember that book years ago, The Long Tail, which was as the internet was starting, it was the former Googler who wrote this idea or wrote about this idea that we will live in a world eventually where many businesses we built on these hyper niches. Yeah. Small little, these small, small little topics. Like yesterday, I met Ari Mizell. He's an overwhelmologist. A what? He's a, <laughs> but, but, but I'm sick. To somebody who's feeling overwhelmed, he's like, I can solve your problems. He's like, I can solve your problems and give you time back in your day. And I can, he had Crohn's disease and he was like, I got to figure out how I can get my job done in one hour a day. So he solved that. So now he's yeah. sharing that with other people. And he, does this entire coaching business with asynchronous audio. He's like, Keith, I get thousands of dollars from people who don't even meet me. So it's fascinating to me how you, I want to play upon what you said. You pick a hyper niche, become an expert in it, own it, and on you go. And it's not easy. You You got to do it daily, but it's finding that hyper niche, isn't it, Alan? It really is. And there's so many people that I meet that I'm fascinated with. Like just today, before I ran to be with you, I was in my favorite coffee shop where I wrote my book and I'm sitting across from this woman and we started chatting. I said, what do you do? She's I'm a running coach. I'm like, you're what? Yeah. I coach people how to run. I'm like, what the hell does that mean? <laughs> she's a running coach and talk about a niche. Like she teaches people how to run. And then she, and then it turns out that she used to be a collegiate track coach, but she teaches basic people who, who are couch potatoes, how to get healthy and run. And I just talk about a niche. And then This other woman that I had on my podcast, she teaches her whole niche are dentists overseas and how to sell their procedures. Like that's Mm -hmm. like just simply not even in America, in England and wherever in Asia, if you're a dentist and you don't know how to sell your procedures, I will train you how to do that. So yes, if you can find a hyper-focused niche, they say the riches are in the the niches, you'll be successful. Don't start generically because- the more people you try to get in your circle, the less that will buy from you. The riches are in the niches and we've yeah. got to start running out of the lab here shortly. Alan, I'm running out of time. Wow. I want to give you a platform to talk about quickly the book, anything about your business, anything to the audience that I have not been able to ask you about, or you haven't had a chance to speak to. Please take a minute, a few seconds, however long you need to ensure the audience knows what they need to know about you but your platform, your website, and your book, and so forth. The floor is yours, my friend. Thank you. And I'm not going to take that much time at all. I just appreciate being here, and I love doing these things. But the book is called The Seven Secrets to Selling More by Selling Less. It's on Amazon. My website is very simple. It's allanger.com, A-L-L-A-N-G-E-R.com. 
You can get my book there. You can listen to my podcast. I'm actually uh, rebranding the podcast. I'm in the per- the process of doing that to more of a niche down podcast for the remodeling industry. But again, if you are in the remodeling industry, or even if you're not, if you need help selling, if you have a sales team that's floundering around 20, 25%, there are so many small things I can help you guys with. Just to just imagine if your sales team increased their closing percentage 2%, what would that do to your company? When an open owner think, you know, see the other thing I'll quickly go over is if you're an owner of a company, invest in your company. Don't look at training as a cost, look at it as an investment. So many small business owners, and I'm talking 10, $20 million companies, which are still somewhat small business companies where they have five or six sales reps. Oh my God, I'm going to spend 20 grand on, on sales training. That's a big cost. Not if they increase their sales to 2% per month, that cost is made up in a week. So think about whether it's sales training or any type of training, keep your company in the forefront, train your employees to be better, spend your money, invest in training your employees to get better, whether it's customer service, whether it's sales, whether it's marketing, it's all out there for you. Don't think of it as a cost. It's an investment if you want to grow. So I can help you with that. And yeah, just visit my website and hopefully buy my book, but I can do individual training, but my wheelhouse is coming out to your company and and doing two, two or three days of some solid training for you. Fantastic. Alan Langer, thanks for joining me on the show. And you heard him say, guys, invest in your training. It's not a cost. It's an investment. You will get a return on your investment if you invest in your human beings. And if you want to hang out in the green room for a second, I'm going to play us out of here and say goodbye. Uh, Thanks for joining us. We come back, Alan. I will do that. Thanks again for having me, Keith. Pleasure. Awesome. Stick around for a second. Boom. Boom. We're right there. You got Keith Billis here. I'm live in the lab. We're wrapping it up. Whoa. What a great week of shows. A great week of shows wrapping up here in the lab, live in the lab. We run Monday to Friday, noon, minus five GMT. I want to thank Alan Langer for joining us in the lab today. I hope you guys have a great weekend. We'll be back on Monday. Uh, A whole new suite of guests, and I'd be lying to you if I have them in front of me right now. So I'm not going to pretend that I do. We're going to be real. We're going to be authentic. And we're going to say, yeah, I got a week of guests next week. I I don't recall the name of the person on Monday, and I'm not going to pretend that I do. So have a great weekend. I'm Keith Billis for Alan Langer. We're live in the lab. We're live in the Business Athlete Performance Lab.